Accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Hope everyone is doing well. We are up to the fifth episode of the American Sci-Fi Television Series Deep Space Nine. This is Babel. It is Season 1, Episode 5, directed by Paul Lynch. Story goes to Sally Caves, Iris Stephen Bear, and the teleplay goes to Michael McGreevney and Naren Shenkar. It aired back on January 24th, 1993. Continuing the trend of uh, mirroring the Deep Space Nine stuff, we've got a whole bunch of visitors coming to us early in the podcast so far. We've got Kyle from, uh, people might know him from the Trexpertise YouTube channel. Kyle, how are you? Good, how's it going? Good, good. You ready to uh, talk about Deep Space Nine, I guess, on the podcast? I would love to talk about Deep Space Nine. Have you, have you, um, what's the current, uh, if you want to explain to people what Trexpertise is, if they're not familiar. Uh, Trexpertise is a YouTube channel. Uh, it's about science fiction. It's predominantly about, uh, Star Trek in the form of video essays, but, uh, we're branching out to the wider sci-fi realm of this yeah, year. Yeah, you did, uh, Arrival, right? The movie, you, t- you did a, a, right. a video about Arrival, the, um the sci-fi film that came out over the summer a couple of months ago, I think. Uh, right. Um, which was a really good movie. Yeah. Um, but it's just a video essay channel. Video essays are currently one of the, uh, better YouTube style content things online. And, uh, I really like the format and that's basically what Trexpertise is. It's, it's like high school essays over and over and over again, taking yeah, a different right. position. <laughs> if people if people can think of like nerd writer would probably be the most sort of famous example of it. Right. Um, that right. kind of that kind of thing. But you guys can check out the link to Trex Batiste. I'll put a uh, link in the blurb and in the uh, YouTube video and everything like that. But you're ready to talk about Deep Space Nine. We're going to be talking about Babel. I'm going to play an audio clip. Me and Kyle are going to come back and we're going to break down the episode Babel. Chief. How can I help you, Major? Looks like you're the one who could use a little help. Oh, no, I'm, I'm fine, really. I suppose this isn't a good time to tell you that number three turbo lift has broken down again. Joking, Chief. Major Lark's true pepper. What? Let birds go further loose, maybe. Shout easy play. Chief, you're not making any sense. Round the turbulent quick. Uh. Well, close the reverse harbor. Ankle, try sound. Reset gleaming. Dinner to bug. Chief, wait. When? Chief. Kyle, you have to uh, forgive me. I say Babel a million times in this just because it's it's a word that I always have to Google uh, how to pronounce before <laughs> before I start uh, talking about it. And they use the word surprisingly uh, large amount in, in Star Trek for some reason. Um, but yeah, this is the fifth episode of Deep Space Nine. When was the last time uh, you watched Deep Space Nine? Are you familiar with it, like, recently, or has it uh, been a while to go back to? Um, 
I, I dip in and out of Deep Space Nine uh, quite a lot, actually, for Trexpertise. So I end up seeing parts of it on a regular basis. The last time I rewatched the entire series, I don't know, 2015 maybe? Sure, yeah. Did, um, did this episode <laughs> stick out in your mind in any reason? How about you give me your general thoughts and takeaway about this one? It, it was generally terrible yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean i'm trying to find a silver lining i've got a couple of silver linings but overall it it sticks out as one of the rough early episodes of ds9 i think that it's a uh, a good place to start since you tend to uh you do sort of video essays and um, film stuff on youtube and everything like that let me know what you think about my feedback about the the major problem with uh babel which if people don't remember this is the episode where chief o'brien is trying to fix things that are malfunctioning throughout the station including the replicators um he activates a sort of bajoran device that was a terrorist device that was planted to sort of sabotage the station 18 years ago and it activates and it causes people to show signs of aphasia which is basically that when they speak they start using unrelated words to what they're talking about so it's just kind of like babbling about things that no one can understand what people are talking about they can't understand each other and they have to figure out how to fix this um my general problem with this is that the the narrative here is basically a series of unconnected events, and it's more, I would describe this if someone were to say, what's the main problem? It's more a plot than it is a story. Does that make sense to you? It makes total sense to me, and I think I would agree. So where do you think that it goes wrong? Like, in my opinion, the the major problem here is that it's a series of sort of events that kind of trigger each other, and without building on each other, they just kind of cascade until you get to the end of the episode, and it feels like it's just sort of one step after another, and I even think that they ruin the mystery aspect a little bit too early. They sort of tip their hand as to what's going on, um, and the only thing that's really interesting about this episode to me is the concept of the aphasic disease, which they get rid of, but why, why would uh, why would you agree or would you think about it? Um. Well, there's a couple of reasons why uh, it failed. Uh, the primary failure, I think, is the content delivery. Like, the the story idea, the aphasia idea, is an interesting one. The, it was implemented poorly, in my view. Uh, like, the way that the disease manifested itself, or infection, or viral infection manifested itself, was in the form of, like, gibberish. And the gibberish came off sounding ridiculous. And you can't avoid stuff like that in Trek sometimes, but in this particular case, to my taste, it felt pretty ridiculous. Uh, it it felt goofy in a way and awkward at the same time. And I'm I'm not sure that's the effect that the production team was yeah, aiming was, for. <laughs> yeah, and they did something else, a couple of things in the episode production-wise that didn't make any sense to me. Uh, there was a lot of moments, uh, several key moments where the exposition was handled through conversations with the computer. Bashir is talking to the computer to discover things. Uh, Major Kira is doing the same thing. And you're just sort of trapped waiting on a back and forth between a main character and a computer. And these things, they, they killed these things a lot in later DS9 episodes uh, as a matter of procedure. You know, you just skip to the end of the result of the investigation or something. But in this episode, you're forced to watch all that. And... I think that if they had cut that bit out, it probably would have been more palatable uh, as an episode. Yeah. Uh, also, the lighting was terrible, and DS9 hadn't figured out its lighting scheme yet. Like, it's everything's too bright and happy and not dark and contrasty, which I preferred. One of my, uh, when we did the pilot emissary for this, I have, a, I have someone who comes on frequently as a guest. He's never seen a lot of Deep Space Nine. 
His takeaway was that he was surprised by how bad the sets and lighting looked in Deep Space Nine. So you, 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 it sounds like you'd agree with that. You, you think it gets better over the course of everything, though? Like, I, I think that I think it really does. Like yes, the the sets are great. Like the 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 art design was really great. The way it was lit in the first, I guess, couple of seasons was problematic. It was really flat. Uh, I guess they were playing with ideas or. It, it was a, you know, discovery through process kind of a thing. Yeah, I mean, it feels like they're copying TNG at this point, right? And, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and what choice do you have, really? But in the later seasons, like, the DS, not the lighting, the lighting team, whoever is doing the lighting, you know, in succession, successive production, like, they just, they nailed it. And, like, later seasons of DS9, it looks great being on the station. Uh, and this episode, it isn't a factor limited to Babel or Babel. Uh, but it's the whole first season, maybe even the second season, where the lighting just hasn't found its, uh, you know, unique characteristic yet. But that's like a, that's a minor thing, I guess. It's just it, it, it made it. If I'm paying attention to the lighting of, of your story, <laughs> it's, it's a bad episode. Yeah. Then the writers failed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think I'd uh, agree with this. I I f- I sort of dozed off uh, a couple times during this one. This one to me. You know, everyone in the audience has been sort of warning that, like, Deep Space Nine takes a season or two to get into things similar to how TNG is. I don't think it's I don't think it's quite as bad as uh, first season TNG here. But I do think that this is almost a very bad Next Generation story that they've kind of transplanted into TNG. Because where you were talking about, like, people looking for a solution through the computer feels very much like a Next Generation type of how they solve mysteries. Um, the, TNG got a little bit better at it, where they would not spend an entire episode doing it they'd have a scene or two where they sort of everyone goes like aha that's the answer and the computer confirms it here it's the opposite where they're constantly going through that kind of discovery process and the the just the general problem with the plot is that you introduce this idea you have this outcome of oh it's a bajoran trap let's uh it's like that's great so let's go find the scientist who did it Akira calls the scientist who's responsible, and he's like, no, I didn't do it. She just goes, he did it. I'm going to go kidnap him. And the rest of the plot is just she takes him on board, and then he fixes the problem. There's no – the conflict that they have is kind of like fake conflict mm, going forward. Right. Nothing nothing here is really a problem outside of the fact that you just have to get two people in the same space, and then they'll solve the problem. Um, and it just feels – it's surprising to me because it's a script by former Star Trek writers, and it feels very lazy to me in that regard. Um what do you think about uh, what do you think about sort of the the story and uh, in motion and how the pieces all came together? It sounds like it didn't come together for you. It, it didn't come together. It, like I mentioned, it was a touch awkward, and and there were just there were a couple of spots where, as a writer, I would have asked some basic questions, um, uh, like apparently civil rights on Bajor is a little bit different or are a little bit different than on Earth in our own contemporary time and place. Like you can just kidnap someone by a transporter and that's okay. Um, that I, I, I would that was really a curious moment and i sat wondering about exactly what authority kira had to do that and like i was thinking about that longer than i should have which is probably a good thing um but why didn't anyone assume it was a universal translator problem and as a as a writer why didn't they deal with that first like it would have taken a couple of seconds of dialogue you know some tapping on a console oh hey the ut is working fine and skip on like I was really wondering that as a viewer, like, why why not ask that question first? Yeah, yeah. Do you, um, do you think that the, you had mentioned that the 
the writing of the sort of gibberish that they say is silly. And I think I agree oh. with you. It's mostly when they're sort of playing, especially with O'Brien when he gets it, uh, this dramatic music in the background, you know, and he's saying things like raspberry, red fields, <laughs> raspberry. God. And it, it just doesn't really work uh, as well. I was, it's one of those things that I think you improve this, right, by having the language be something of a key or something like the just the fact that you're making people speak gibberish isn't really enough for me to make the story kind of interesting or the script interesting you kind of need to take the the language problem and have that inability to communicate be the solution to things and somehow they they don't really do that like this this disease could be anything they could not talk at all and it would have the same exact effect on things Right. Or, or they could have tied it to the Bajoran backstory that they tried to create a little bit more strongly and, and giving like a clue uh, to its origins in like the political manifestations of the Bajorans. Like sure. maybe the gibberish somehow was a slight at the Cardassians instead of just total gibberish, you know, like, I don't know, it forces that, them to yeah. speak Bajoran or something. Yeah, make them or they just uh, they sort of repeat a Bajoran religious mantra or something yeah. like that. Yeah, that's, that's Actually, a good point. That would have been a little more tolerable um, if everyone suddenly became religious by virus. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a very Star Trek-y way to, uh, to approach it, I guess. Yeah. I think... Um, yeah, go ahead. Oh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, no, I just... it's. Did, did you think that the Bajoran implementation of it kind of made sense to me? Because I'm... It's one of those things, as you were saying, like when you're paying attention to the lighting, is probably not a good episode... I was thinking an inordinate amount of what the device was there for and why didn't they activate it. They kind of give a little bit of like, oh, they probably got killed or captured before they activated it. But they went through the trouble of installing it. So they made it that far, but they never really get across the point of why they wouldn't activate that kind of a thing. And I don't know if you had any thoughts about that. I actually kind of appreciated that. Um, th- there's a tendency in track to over-explain, over overly exposition things. And uh, in this case, I was I was personally okay with that. I thought it added a little bit of backstory to the Bajoran resistance that, you know, DS9's filled with Bajoran resistance backstory. And usually Kira knows all the key players. And in this case, she didn't. And in this case, no one knew what happened. And it was like a really weird question mark for Star Trek to have in an episode. But I was kind of okay with it because, like, in a way, it illuminated even more of the Bajoran backstory for me. Uh, as opposed to Kira knowing the terrorists involved or the freedom fighters involved, like, you know, here's a plot that never manifested and we, we can't explain why because everyone's dead. It really gives you its own context of what Bajor is like at that time period. Yeah, um, yeah. I think, maybe. Do, I mean, do you find do you find the... I think one of my problems going on the ease, like the, the early DS9 stuff is that the Bajoran backstory is... As we mentioned in the pilot, it's kind of it's difficult to really demonstrate on TV what's happened to these people as a result. And you, you every Bajoran you see is fairly happy. They just kind of they kind of bring up the resistance as a thing that was horrible and it happened, but they don't really have that many like outward repercussions of it. Everyone seems to be back to work and kind of stuff like that. And it feels a little bit odd that they they kind of just use it as like a touch and go point for story ideas at this point as opposed to really sinking their teeth into it here that they're just going to say oh during the resistance we actually created this virus as a way to fight off and that's that's the basic premise of what it was um i i I think i would have appreciated a little bit more of a dive into the bajoran stuff here make it a little bit more of a 
even if you go with like the moral uh, like implications of this, the episode isn't really designed as that way. It's more designed as just a straightforward genre sci-fi piece. Um, and I th- do you th- I I wonder if the collision between that sort of like genre piece and the new DS9 aesthetic that we're coming off the of TNG is the problem, or if it's just a a bad story in general. Uh, well, I was poking around the memory alpha page for this episode, and there is some information uh, saying that this was a story idea that they had sitting around with the next generation for about five years. So, so somebody somewhere was like, this is a cool idea. We just need a way to implement it. So I think like, to to me, that probably explains some of the awkwardness at its expression on DS9. Maybe it it was sort of a thought piece that belonged in the next generation. uh, And they sort of just, you know, kind of pushed it into the hole of DS9 and it didn't really fit. Uh, but I think largely you're right, man. If the if they had focused a little bit more on the Bajoran backstory, to some degree or another, I think that probably would have made it a stronger entry, and a and a more valuable entry to DS9 as a whole. Right now, you could watch the entire series and not watch this episode, and you probably wouldn't notice. And DS9 is the track that if you skip an episode, you know you miss key plot points uh, for the larger story arcs later in the series. And you know this episode doesn't fit any of that. Yeah, and I. It- you kind of bring up a a point of if they cut and pasted out of TNG and put it into this. It reminded me in a lot of ways of um, the opening scene of Star Trek Generations. The film is kind of famous because it, the script was written for Spock, McCoy, and Kirk, but they couldn't get Nimoy or um, DeForest Kelly to get into it. So they just kind of rewrote it for other characters. Hmm. And if you pay attention, you can kind of see the voice that they were originally. They didn't really rewrite it all that much for those characters. They kind of just changed the character names on the top of it and maybe adjusted a few words. Here, my thing was that after the uh, after the early episodes of getting to know the Deep Space Nine characters, they're pretty much just cutout characters here. The only exception that I saw was the Odo and Quark interactions, which feel right. like they had to be written for this uh, episode. And those are the only two characters who really interact in a way that makes me feel like they fit into what the uh, the universe is so far. Everyone else feels very cut and paste, especially Bashir, who's doing her his best uh, Beverly Crusher impression, oh, I think. Oh, my yeah. gosh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. poor poor Bashir. Uh, I, I agree with you. Actually, I made some notes on the character work. That was the... There are two portions to the character work, in my mind, that were the silver linings of this episode. Uh, the Quark-Odo relationship is in full, you know, bloom right now. And that's... If you watch this episode and you get an impression of how they are with each other... Uh, that may may last the entire series. This is the impression you get. Like it's exactly that. They're they soften at each other a little bit, but they're still like stabbing each other with verbal jibes, and you know they still don't trust each other. There's still kind of lovable grumpiness about the both of them together, and uh, they really nailed the Quark Odo aspect of it. And the O'Brien must suffer paradigm is yeah. in display. <laughs> like, he's like overworked, and it's a really classic O'Brien like kind of character thing that have happened and that watching him bounce around uh i guess customers i don't know how you describe it at the beginning of the episode felt very natural that that part of the episode felt very natural to me watching o'brien suffer from work yeah uh but the the character highlight for me that made the episode you know palatable as a whole was uh benjamin and jake cisco's moment where jake gets infected and like the whole situation is ridiculous it's ridiculous they probably could have turned it into a musical and saved <laughs> face in my view but when they put when they infected jake and benjamin's reaction to jake like it it, it added a 
a, a surprising twist of humanity to the situation. And I've always loved how Benjamin and Jake are on screen. That it was a very uh, beautiful relationship that they displayed across the entire series. And you get a little taste of that right here. And it's probably the first time they really did that since the pilot, I imagine. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I... I I, I feel it's it's probably premature to talk about it now. I find that relationship to be a little bit odd in some way. Like I, I feel like that the it's it'll be tough to talk about here now. Like I, I always feel that their interactions with each other are a little bit too melodramatic for me in a lot of ways. Mm. The, it's a lot of like there must be some sort of memory alpha thing where it's like the number of times that Ben Cisco grabs Jake's head and kisses it. There must be some kind of <laughs> counter for that going on. And and not that he's a not that it's unbelievable or anything like that, but I, it, it probably makes more sense at this point when Jake is younger. And I think I get more irritated by it as it goes on and it gets a little bit older and things change that way. But it's something we'll have to come back to. Uh, along the lines of your uh, O'Brien must suffer type thing with him being overworked. We're doing two episodes today. Uh, the one after this is going to be Captive Pursuit. Uh, something that struck me as very different from the previous series, because we're fresh off it, is the amount of customer service that these storylines oh. are focusing on. There's a lot of a lot of pleasing people who are coming to the station and you have to sort of just uh, obey what they want to do kind of in a way that the other series were more, I'm going to put my foot in something and kind of get involved in it. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a different tone as to like the relationship that these people have and a lot of uh, the complaining about O'Brien doing his job is something that you never see on TNG. It's, it's really, it's what everyone says is the difference between the series, but it's interesting how immediately obvious it is like they were waiting through years of tng to just have a character complain that he doesn't want to be fixing the replicators at this point it's probably a holdover of standing at the transporter console for years on end (laughs) (laughs) um it's really strange actually uh you never see the starfleet characters on the enterprise complain about that you're right and i don't know why that is it might be something inherent to o'brien's character who's naturally a complaining sort of guy sometimes yeah uh, but actually, it's also a little bit of an insight to whatever kind of economy these people are living under. That's imagine- actually, yeah, that's what a Twitter follower actually brought up. Um, do, do you want to, yeah, go into that? I didn't mean to interrupt, but it's something that people have been talking about. Well, they're obviously not getting paid, or if they are, it's like a you know post scarcity kind of payment where the money doesn't really matter because you make enough anyway. Um, but it was really curious. Like he felt compelled to solve these problems in order to keep his job and money isn't the motivator. So it must've been like reputation or or something. So like O'Brien was really personally invested, if that's the case, with solving all these problems and was overworked as a result because his reputation was on the line, maybe. I thought that during the episode and then we're going to talk about it in Captive Pursuit. He actually mentions it as a joke. And I wonder how much truth there was in that. These are, Probably accidental insights the writers are giving us. I don't know. I don't think they thought about the economy of DS9 at all. But <laughs> I think it's like the the economy of Deep Space Nine is most apparent in how does Quark's how does Quark's bar operate with Starfleet officers? Yeah, like yeah, who's paying for what? You know, right? Exactly. Do they just have a tab that Starfleet settles up with? Because a lot of people who aren't in the Federation are coming in and paying with latinum. So that's obviously a real currency in the universe, but. I don't understand how the rest of it works, how Starfleet officers are paying for things and how Quark is okay with not being paid for things, I guess. I, it's, I'm really curious as to 
to figure it out. You know, if they probably explained it in the show, they probably would have taken a political stance or something. I don't know. It was the 90s. But... Yeah, right. <laughs> But but you want the beginning of the episode, Quark's bar is failing again. Like he doesn't actually. He goes from boom to bust, boom to bust. Yes, classic classic capitalism. Right. Um, <laughs> He's got a bubble. Yeah. But he never complains about people paying for things. And on occasion, if you, this is your first time watching DS Nine, you're probably wondering some of these questions now. But Starfleet officers do occasionally pay for things. Like Dax goes in to play Dabo and uses her own latinum. Where right. Where the hell is she getting that from? Right. Who's giving her that? I don't understand. <laughs> that's i guess yeah it's, it's just you can you can chip away a little slice of your reputation that you've earned and i guess they'll give you a little bit of latinum for it if you sell it to the right person yeah that, that's something we'll definitely be getting uh more into in the way of that it's it's funny i think we chose two decent ep- episodes to sort of pair with each other because i think they're very different from each other once we get to captive pursuit things will be a little bit different um oh this, yeah this one to me is just it's an episode that kind of suffers because it's not really about anything. There, there's no mm-hmm. real, there's no real point to anything that's going on, and everything just kind of stumbles along, as I said, to, until it gets to the resolution, and then we go from there. And Cisco can make his coffee and be happy, and everything sort of resets at the end of it. It literally resets because Cisco yells at uh, O'Brien oh, again. God, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's that kind of a. It's just that kind of a bumbling narrative. If if you're going to have these kind of sci-fi plots, you kind of need to have the Braga approach to it. Like you can't you can't half-ass this kind of genre hard sci-fi type thing. If you want to call this hard sci-fi, it's not really. But if you want to go all in on this weird alien virus thing, the virus has to be interesting. The virus has to have some sort of key, or the resolution has to be important to things. And I don't get the sense of that from any of this. Mm-mm. It's um less useful than TNG's Shades of Grey, and certainly less offensive than the original series Paradise Syndrome. Somehow right. it's like the forgotten child of bad episodes in yeah. Trectum. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like DS9 kind of fits into that a lot. You you tend to not remember the names of the episodes, or the, t- uh, the ones that aren't particularly good, but the TNG and the TOS ones stick out very mm. fortunately. Yeah, there'd be an interesting list to see what the best uh, viral infection episode of Star Trek was. And certainly not this one, but Paradise Syndrome. I don't, I don't know. Oh, man, you know, I'd love to uh, interview a biologist about that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how how plausible things. is a viral aphasia? Well, Bashir um, seemed uh, pretty impressed by it. He was uh, very, very well done. But I think that we've we talked about this one. There's really not a lot to talk about with this episode. I find it um, it's not very good. It's mm-hmm. certainly a skippable one. But we're going to play an audio clip of this episode. And then me and Kyle are going to come back. And we're going to give our final thoughts and ratings for Babel. Look, Cisco, I'm a security officer, a good one, but that doesn't make me qualified to help you run station operations. You're probably right, Constable. But as you can see, you're all I've got. Commander. Commander. I think I found our scientist. Does he have an antidote? I don't know. He broke the connection the minute I mentioned the virus. Major, do you mind telling me where you're going? To continue my conversation with Dr. Cermak in person. Major, I can't allow you to break quarantine. We can't risk spreading the virus to Beijing. I am well aware of that, Commander. As a matter of fact, I don't intend to step foot on the planet. Better let her go, Cisco. She's all we've got. All right, guys, so we're back. We're going to wrap this one up with final thoughts and ratings on our 1 to 5 scale about uh, Babel. Um, I don't really have many in the way of final thoughts. Everything I pretty much summed up, it's just a very dull episode that doesn't really grab my attention in any kind of way. It doesn't really accomplish anything that it probably accomplishes what it's trying to do, but it doesn't really have very lofty goals about what it's trying to get done. Um, 
I'm going to give this one a one out of five. It's a really, it's a very skippable, forgettable episode, as you said, Kyle. Uh, you can easily skip this one and not really notice anything, not really feel bad about it. It feels very much like a TNG episode transplanted to Deep Space Nine, and it wasn't even a good TNG idea in the first place. If it took, if it, the idea had been kicking around for five years, it's less that it's a good idea that they just can't figure out how to fit, and more that it's probably just a bad idea that they can't really figure out how to make work properly. Um, and I think that's the case here. So, what do you think on our one to five scale? What would you give this guy? A, a solid, strong one, I think. Sure. Um, <laughs> um, it's generally bad. The writers goofed up a bit in implementation. The production goofed up a bit in implementation. The only strong points are some of the character work, uh, like, for example, Corcanoto. But apart from that, if, if you slept through it, then you would have missed anything. Right. Sad. Yeah. It is, it is, it is sad. Um, the, I think that it's, yeah, it's it's difficult. I mean, the, people have been saying, all you guys listening have just been saying, you got to get through uh, season one. It's been a long time since I've seen season one, but it's the only thing that's really grabbing me from an episode like this is just how you compare it to the previous seasons and what sort of Deep Space Nine's tone is going to be going mm-hmm. forward. And I think that sticks out. It, it comes out in the Quark and Odo conversations, as you say. Um, but yeah, otherwise, it's not very good. Um, we're going to wrap it up there. But Kyle, thank you very much for coming on. My pleasure. You can check out Trexpertise. Uh, I'll put the link in the video descriptions. Thank you to everybody. You can follow us on social media. You follow all the links. You guys know where they are. They're in the video description and in the uh, podcast blurb. Go there. Check us out. Only thing to plug is Patreon. If you go to Patreon, you get extra content. You can support the show there. It's very nice. Also, the highest tier patrons get a shout out. So we've got Tax Owlbear, Kyle B, Joint Mango, Michael S, Doug V, and Tarek L. Thank you very much, guys, for supporting the show, obviously. We didn't get any uh, viewer comments because I think this one, uh, the scheduling of this one is no good, but normally we put uh, read or viewer comments in this one and we can respond to it. We don't have any here because I had to rush through this. But guys, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.